Well, there's there's lots to talk about with this incredible piece. Uh, it was made by Hieronymus Amati, Hieronymus II. Uh, Hieronymus was the fourth generation of violin makers in the family and the last generation. After he passed away, that golden period was over for the Amatis. Now, this particular viola was made in 1703. Uh, that would be the zenith of his career. He was about 50 years old at that time, and he was right in his prime. Um, but what's also very important here is that we must remember that this viola is one of only three in existence of this particular size. Two of them are in museums and not playable. This particular piece happens to be virtually as it left the master's hands back in 1703. That is amazing. It is amazing. Incredible. And one of the reasons why this particular piece has remained so well-preserved is that back in the 1980s, it was discovered in a castle in northern Italy on Lake Como. Well, there was some baronesses in the castle there, and they had a huge collection of instruments. And that viola was one of the instruments in that cache of, of, of musical instruments. And it's virtually without crack. It has 90% of the original varnish, no wow. wear, no chipping. It's just That's amazing. It's a delight to see this thing. This yeah. sounds like a fairy tale. A little bit, yes. A little bit like a fairy tale. How was, how, well, how did it come to the TSO? Ah, okay. It came to the TSO um, 10, almost 11 years ago, uh, the... President and CEO of the TSO then, Andrew Shaw, uh, rang me up and said, Rick, we are going on a quest together. We need to find a beautiful viola for Tung Lee, who was, I think, just coming into the symphony she at that was time. New. Yep, okay. And I think she was under everybody's watchful eye and perhaps under Peter Unjian's wing a little bit there. And I was asked to find a suitable viola for this young lady because there was a benefactor at that time. I did not know Dr. Waters, but I was soon to be introduced to him. And we've been fast friends ever since. Um, we found a viola uh, in Chicago. It was made by uh, J.B. Guadagnini, which was a very strong candidate. That was the first instrument that we found that was clean enough and had the right kind of voice and fit all these different things that I was asked to, mandates I was asked to fulfill. The viola was well received by Tung, but it wasn't her voice. It wasn't her match. She tried for weeks with the instrument and different strings and different setups. And I finally, this. do you remember this? Yes. And finally, we, I think we were in Roy Thompson Hall and we were, it was being played and we finally all looked at each other and said, let's not push this. It's just not going to fit this young lady. So the viola was returned. A uh, short time after that, I think Peter Unjian was at a film festival stateside. And at that film festival, I think he met the owner of this particular viola that we're talking about, Dave Fulton. Uh, Dave Fulton owned the viola at that time. It was part of his collection. Peter Ungian did the Peter Ungian wonderful magic, sort of slid in there and talked a little bit. Peter rang me up and said, Rick, you have to hear about this. So from there, the story grows. I eventually went out. The viola was in Seattle, Washington. I went out to the gentleman's home, looked at the viola, fell madly in love with it, knew this was it. I mean, there was no question about it. This is it one, was of, the is it one of those rare moments yeah, in your yeah, career? It was one of those, ha-ha, yeah, I wish there was more of them, actually. <laughs> but um, we did all the right things. We uh, had the instrument cleared through customs on temporary import and showed it to Tung, and I think Tung fell in love with it almost immediately, and the rest is history from there. We nego negotiated the purchase of it, and... It's now lives in Canada forever. What a beautiful story. Yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. 